So glad to have you here this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm the pastor at this church, and there's amazing things going on in this church. So if you wandered in today, you are in store for a good time. Amen. We are in a series called So That. This series is inspired by some words in one of the most well-known passages of the Bible, John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, he gave him, he didn't just love the world, he loved us so much that he gave, he did something. Why? That whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Isn't it so good? God sets this example for us. He said, I love you. And it's not just an emotion. It, it starts as love and it drives me to action. So I'm going to give my son. I'm going to give my most precious possession for you to save you from the sin and destruction which you brought upon yourself. And that's how we're supposed to be as Christians. Not just saved, but we're saved so that, so that we can carry the cause of Christ into the world and preach the good news. And we've been talking in this series about how so that it's a phrase that brings action and purpose to mind. And I asked you in previous weeks, are you a so that Christian or a so what Christian? And it's a hard question, isn't it? Right. But there are some Christians, they say, well, I know God saved me, but I'm getting into heaven and and I don't really need to do much more from here. So what if the pastor says I need to be like Jesus? I'm just glad to get in. You know, I just wanted to make it out of that fiery place because that was freaky. But I want you to know that God saved you for something bigger than just to make it through destruction and come out on the other side with your eyebrows singed off. But you barely right. He, he saved you to be a part of building his kingdom, to be like Jesus. This church exists for an important purpose. And you'll see a little bit of a light of this in Ephesians 2.13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How many of you would say, I was once far away from God? I was, so, I was far, but I've been brought near because of what Jesus has done for me. And, and that's why we exist, so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. That's why this church exists. And today I want to talk about the church, the church. I want to share some of my vision for this church. This is kind of a family talk. So if you're a guest, you're more than welcome to be here. We're glad you're here. But I also want to talk to our church family today. And I'm praying that God starts a fire in your heart that burns bright for Jesus, that cannot be extinguished. We don't just come to church we want to become the church. And that's what we're trying to do. It says in Matthew 16, verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Jesus is speaking. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus is building his church and hell doesn't have any weapon that can stop it. When it says the gates of hell will not overcome, it's referring to the power of hell. Satan, the enemies of God, they cannot stand against what Jesus is doing. Jesus, he is victorious and he will be victorious. He's building his church. 
I love the question he asked Simon. He said, who do you say I am? Before that, he asked them, like, who do people say I am? And they said, like, oh, you're a nice guy. Uh, you're a prophet. You're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. You're, you're alive. I mean, they had some pretty crazy answers. And Jesus was like, hmm, interesting. Who do you say I am? And that's a question that everyone has to answer. This is the question that will ultimately determine where you spend eternity and what happens with your life. Who do you say I am? For those of us who say, like Simon Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. For those of us who say, I believe in you, I trust you that your death and resurrection has saved me, not because I deserve it, but because you earned it on my behalf. Those of us, we, we who believe that we are saved, we are a part of the church. The church is not just a building, it's, it's a people. And the word church, it's a, it's a word ecclesia, it means called out, chosen, set apart. We have been set apart from the world as God's people. We have been saved and set apart for a purpose. This is who we are. We're the church. I love the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and we want to be like him. Obviously, he really loves his church. He calls us the bride of Christ. And so if he loves his church, we should love his church. Amen? The church is God's people on God's mission. So that's why we want to be like him, not just like him. We want to become the church, not just come to church. We're on God's mission. And so I want us to understand, we, we really, we're serious about this. We love the church up in here, okay? We love the church. And I need you to know that at Generation Church, this is a place where we bless the church. We pray for the church. We do not criticize other churches here. We do not criticize other pastors here. That's not our culture. That's not how we behave. Any Bible teaching church, we cheer for them. We support them. We encourage them because we're part of the kingdom of God. Amen? And, and I get really frustrated. I cringe. I get angry when I see Christians criticize the church. Maybe, maybe you never thought about this before, but think about this. We are not called to criticize the church. It's not our place. Who's building the church? Jesus. So when we criticize the church, we criticize the architect. Who am I to criticize the church? I can't even understand its complexity and magnificence. I'm not qualified to criticize the church. You just need to know. Like, I barely understand what I'm trying to do in this little section of the church. It'd be like if I got a Band-Aid on my arm and I, and I ranted about the problems of modern medicine. I don't know. I just take ibuprofen when I don't feel good. Right? Like, we cannot. We, it's not our place, right? We are called to bless the church, pray for her, and support her. It's the bride of Christ. How would you feel if I got up here and started talking trash about your wife? If you had a spine, you'd be like, I'm going to punch you in the face, Pastor Ryan. How do you think Jesus feels when people talk about his bride? Right? This is a church that speaks life. So we know, we love the church. We don't criticize other churches. I, I had lunch with a guy not long ago who had a ministry, and he asked me if we could support his ministry. And I'm looking for opportunities sometimes to support other ministries. We can expand our reach. And he is a guy who runs a disaster relief ministry. And he seemed like a nice guy, and he told me, you know, I was down in Houston, and we were helping out after one of the floods, and we were giving out supplies, and we were giving out food, and I was like, oh, tell me more. That sounds really good. And then he says, and you know what? Uh, in Houston there, one of the local pastors, Joel Osteen, came in to our location. And it, it, Joel's a pretty widely known guy, and he gets a lot of criticism for people, uh, from people. Apparently, he's too nice. Or something like that's a thing, I guess. He's too encouraging, right? I'm like, have you met the Holy Spirit? 
<clears throat> so here's what Joel did. He gave this guy a check of support for $30,000. And I'm like, wow. And then this guy sitting at the table with me, the next thing out of his mouth is criticism of Joel. Oh, no. I'm thinking, I'm not as nice as Joel. And I wasn't going to give you as money, much money as Joel. I can't even imagine what you say about me. Right? And he asked me, so what do you think your church can do? And I said, nothing. Because God does not bless those who criticize the church. God does not bless those who criticize leaders and pastors. We're here to bless and be a support. Amen. In Colossians 3.12, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. That's the goal. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. We have to be an example to this world as Christians, an example of perfect harmony. Or at least we're trying our best to be in perfect harmony. This is a passage that would establish ground rules for a great marriage, wouldn't it? Right? If you forgave one another and you were tenderhearted and merciful and gentle and patient with one another, clothed in love, living in peace. But it was written to the church, and it is the ground rule for our church that we are to be like this with one another. Patient. Make allowances for each other's faults. Like You could be sitting to someone in your row who is not perfect, There are people in this church who occasionally could irritate you. There are pastors in this church who could irritate you. You'd be like, I know one. <laughs> there are people in this church who will forget your birthday and take your parking space and go through awkward phases. This church might go through awkward phases, but we make allowances for each other. We forgive one another. We treat each other the way that we want to be treated because we are the bride of Christ. We're called to live in love and be an example to the world of peace. And that's why this is a church that is thick with love. It's in the atmosphere. You can feel it when you walk in the doors. People tell me all the time, man, you can just, you can feel the love in this church. I'm like, oh, it's so good, right? It's thick. You can cut it with a fork and knife and eat it. So much love. I love, I, I love it. And I love you guys. That's how we should be. I love the church, the big C capital universal church. People ask, you know, what is the church? When you say the church with a capital C, it is the universal church, which means everyone who's ever lived who has placed their faith in Jesus. That's the church. We all will inherit God's promises. And then there are little C churches, which are local churches like this. So we love the church and we love this church. Okay? Because we have a special relationship with our local church. There are three covenant relationships described in the Bible. A covenant is like a contract. But whereas with a contract, you're kind of looking for the other person to violate the terms so you can get out of your side. A covenant is a contract, but with commitment and love, where you want the best for the other person. So here are some of the covenant relationships described in the Bible. There's a covenant relationship between God and man. God said, if you place your faith in my son Jesus, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
your sins are washed away. It's a covenant. There's a covenant relationship described between man and wife. The Bible says, two become one. Let no one tear apart what God has joined together. It's a covenant relationship described between us and our church. The church is described as the body of Christ. Right? It's not very easy to detach body parts. Right? The church is described with marriage language, like bridegroom and bride. It's a covenant relationship. Now, covenants can be broken. If someone ultimately rejects the Son of God, God will reject them. In a marriage, if someone commits adultery, the other spouse is freed from their commitment. In a church, if a church stops preaching the truth of God's word, you should get out. But a covenant is not easily discarded because it is a commitment of faithfulness and love. And a healthy church needs a foundation of faithful Christians. Just like a healthy marriage needs commitment, a church needs faithful Christians. We need faithful leaders and faithful believers. I want you to understand God rewards faithfulness. And it starts with the pastor. We need a faithful pastor and churches need stable leaders. It used to be in the old days that pastors would come into a church for about a year, two years, and then they'd move on. I don't know. It was like a traveling tour or something. I guess they figured if we get him out of here soon enough, he can't mess with our lives. Right, but we need stability. We need faithful leaders. We need pastors who stay, who don't become restless. And, and that's my goal. My goal is to be a faithful leader to you. And I believe that that's what God calls us to do. That's what the church needs. That's what the kingdom of God needs. We need pastors who keep their pants on. Amen? Amen. There's a lot of stuff going around on the internet about, you know, pray for your pastor. And I really, I, pr- I appreciate that. Please, I am unashamedly asking you, pray for me. Pray for me. But here's what I see in these graphics. It'll say things like, pray for your pastor. 97% of pastors are burnt out and has all these numbers, you know, like this many percentage of pastors are thinking about quitting. These pastors have strained marriages. These pastors are struggling with depression. These pa-, and I'm like reading this thing going, man, there must be a lot of people praying for me because I'm not burnt out. I'm fired up. I'm not depressed. I'm filled with joy. I have a strong and sexy marriage. I just need you to know that. I don't have to serve at this church. I get to serve at this church. I don't want to be anywhere else. I ain't going anywhere else unless God strikes me dead. So I want to be a faithful leader. And we need faithful believers. There's so many of you on this team who say, I am faithful. I'm all in. And, And I thank God for you. Faithful Christians in the church are one of the greatest blessings to pastors. I thank God for some of the Christians who've been in our church even longer than I can. I've been here. And they have seen this church change a lot. Yes, they say, amen, it's changed a lot. But what they say is, I'm called to this church. My calling does not change when the paint color changes. And until God calls me out, this is where I am going to be committed and be all in and help build the church. That's not how it is for some people. Not many of you, okay? This is other people. These are apathetic Christians. 
They say like, oh, you know, so what? Who cares which church I go to? Go to this one a little bit. Go to that one a little bit. It's all the same. It's all part of the kingdom of God. They always use spiritual language like that. Go to this church for the good worship. This church for the good preaching. This church for the good kids ministry. This church for the good coffee. And I just need to warn you against that kind of thinking. I'm not talking about snowbirds who live here half the year and somewhere else half the year. I'm talking about people who say like, I have more than one church. And I tell you like, well, you know, the Bible uses marriage language when it talks about your relationship with the church. So having more than one church, I think, is kind of like having more than one wife. You can talk about how you have plenty of love to go around, but you're still shady at the end of the day. You need to commit, right? You need to have a home church where you can grow, be challenged, encouraged, and known by people. A lot of apathetic Christians, they like to bounce around so that they can't, they can't get known well enough to be held accountable, Don't be like that. So that Christians, though, they say, I didn't come here to take from you. I came here to contribute. I came here to build. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to help you build this thing. If Jesus is building his church, then I want to be like him, and I'm going to build this church. God, call me here. I'm all in. Sometimes we get restless, okay? So I just wanted to teach on this for a a second and warn you against restlessness and how restlessness can rob you from God's blessing that comes with faithfulness. Restlessness, we get, in our culture, things are so new and so changing that we get distracted and restless and flighty sometimes. And and we get bored. And I want to tell you, when I was a little kid, I used to tell my dad, I'm bored. And he would say, you're boring, and I'd be like, no, Dad, I'm bored. Like, no, you're boring. He's the ultimate teaser. I love him. And I thought, a bored Christian is a boring Christian. Because if you get involved and serve, I guarantee you it'll be interesting. If you sacrifice and give, you will be invested. If you disciple another believer, Oh, it keeps you on your toes. It's so fun. There is nothing more exciting than being a part of building the church of Jesus Christ. We are here to help build this church so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. So guard against the grass is greener on the other side syndrome. Right? This will get you in trouble in your marriage. It will get you in trouble with your church. The grass is not greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. Amen? If you invest, man, you'll see so much fruit. And then don't get frustrated if you have to deal with some crap. Because the grass is greener where you fertilize it. So any church with people is going to have some mess. Right? I'm grateful for the mess that we have. Because if there's a mess, it means there's people. When we get to the end of our lives and we stand before Jesus, we want to be able to know I was faithful. I want to know, I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. The servant was good because he was faithful. So let's be faithful to build like Jesus. In Ephesians 2.19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. His household, his church, his people, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So when Jesus came to this earth, he said, I'm going to save them. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. My Spirit's going to give them empowerment, and my church is going to reach them. So this shows us how we're going to do this thing. Our Savior is Jesus. Our strength is in the Spirit. 
And our strategy is the church. The church was the strategy of Jesus for bringing the good news to the world. That's why he recruited these 12 disciples, not because he wanted to be a Cub Scout leader, but because he wanted to train them and teach them and raise them up to send them out as apostles to start churches, to start local churches that would train people, raise them up, and send them out to start churches. The church is the strategy of God to bring hope to the world. And even sociologists and scientists see that churches have such a positive impact on their local community. Economically, when churches come into a community, it increases the rate of jobs. It brings stronger local businesses. There are less hungry and homeless people, less reliance on welfare, and a higher standard of living. Sociologically, We see that churches create stronger marriages in society and the divorce rate decreases. There's an increase in community service, a decrease in fatherlessness, more blood donations, higher math and reading scores, less incarceration of youth, better school systems, and greater political engagement. Physically, we see that when churches saturate a community, there's less violence and specifically less violence against women, a decrease in drug and alcohol use, increased mental health, and decrease in the suicide rate. When people go to church, scientists say that they live longer on average by seven years. Man, we're speaking life and we're giving life up in here. It's because when you get a church into the community and you get people into church, you get Jesus into people and it changes them. So I want you to understand as a part of Generation Church, our mindset And what really we celebrate more than anything, we should get more excited about the growth and expansion of the church than any other event. And you might be like, well, Pastor Ryan, what about salvation? And I want you to know, the Bible says salvation, all of heaven rejoices. That is what we're after. But that one salvation is important to God. We want more than that. Because when you plant a church, when you get a church in a community that will preach the word of God, the word of God changes people's lives and Jesus changes their hearts and they become more like him. And we can raise them up to be disciples who go out and recruit and preach the gospel and bring friends to church who then get saved. And so instead of one salvation, you'll see thousands of salvations. We got to think on a higher strategic level like that. The expansion of the church is the greatest because as the church grows, lives are changed. And as lives are changed, the kingdom of God grows. There are some people who are are small-minded, not any of you. But so what Christians? They say, so what? I don't want my church to grow because then I won't know everyone. But the important question is, does Jesus want his church to grow? People will say, it's not about the numbers. And in response to that, turning your Bible to the book of Numbers, chapter 3. I'm just kidding. People say it's not about the numbers. Oh, my gosh. I mean, imagine if you invested your money with a financial advisor, and he came back and was like, yo, man, I lost it all, but it's not about the numbers. Like, excuse me? Imagine if you were on the Titanic as it was sinking, and you were told, sorry, there's no room. We don't have enough lifeboats for the number of people on board. But it's not about the numbers, bro. Look at the craftsmanship of this lifeboat. Like, it's all about the numbers. In church, it's all about the, because every number represents a person. And every person matters to God. If you don't care about numbers, you don't care about people. So I, lo- I love you. I love you, John, number 765, right? 
You got a number, but you got a name and you matter to God. We're all about that. People say things like, I don't want to be part of a mega church. Like, why? That's my question. Like, we like mega sized everything else. We got a mega message. We got a mega mission. I worship a mega man, the son of God. We've received mega blessing and we have mega joy. We come to church. We have a mega good time. So I say, bring it on. It's not all about growth, Ryan. It's also important to have health. That sounds really good, but healthy things grow. You know, not always in a straight line. Sometimes you have setbacks, but if you're not growing overall, then it's a good sign you're dying. People say there are enough churches. Understand, Phoenix is one of the 10 most biblically illiterate cities in America. We are in one of the top 10 most unreached cities that exist in America. So if we had 10 times as many churches having services all day, every day, and filled every seat in every service, we would only be scratching the surface. It'd be a drop in the bucket of all the people who need Jesus. We need more churches. People say things like, God doesn't expect me to build his church. He just wants me to rest in his goodness. There's going to be a time for resting when you're dead, right? Read the Bible. Read the Bible, what the Bible says. God cares about numbers. He expects us to work, and he wants good results. In the parable of the ten servants in Luke 19, he's talking, Jesus is telling this parable here. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Jesus is the nobleman slash king in this story. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. God doesn't care about the numbers. Sounds like he does. The first servant reported, master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done. The king exclaimed, you are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. See, God doesn't expect an equal return from you. He expects equal faithfulness. The master said, well done. You are a faithful servant and you will be governor over five cities. Verse 20 says, but the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with. This is some hard preaching. This is some hard expectations you got from me. And here's what the master said, you wicked servant. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvest crops I didn't plant. In other words, he's saying, I, I expect a return on investment. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But, 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 but master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. It's not fair. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. See, did Jesus come back in the story, the parable of the king? Did he come back and say, hey, guys, listen, however it went, doesn't really matter. Just as long as you tried your best. 
Jesus doesn't give out participation trophies. Come on. He wants a return on investment. He said, show me the money. In other words, he wants us to do good work and bring in a harvest. He said, take this lazy guy's money, give it to the guy with 10 times what he started with. That guy I can trust. That guy will use what I give him for me. I'm looking for good and faithful servants, God says. This is true for you. If you're faithful to God, God will bring more blessing into your life, more favor into your life, more opportunity into your life. Listen, you don't want to be one of those people who watches his opportunity go to someone else. Don't let God have to give your blessing to someone else. You want to be faithful. And then God is looking for churches like this. If we're faithful as a church, man, God's going to bring more favor, more blessing, more opportunity. All believers are going to get into heaven, but they're not all going to receive the same reward. All churches, God loves them, but he does not reward them equally. He rewards us with greater responsibility when we prove faithful with what he's entrusted us with. And I need you to know, I'm not even a little bit embarrassed to tell you I want to be a 10 times Christian. I want to be a 10 times pastor. I want this to be a 10 times church, a church that multiplies, a church that celebrates growth, a church that says to God, you can trust me, Lord. If you put a resource in my hand, I'm going to multiply it for you, God. If they won't use it, give it to me. I will bring back a good return. We're going to stand before God at the end of our lives in here. Well done, good and faithful servant. Man, we're going to teach them the word. We're going to raise them up. We're going to send them out. And some people will complain, but Generation Church already has a lot of people. But to those who use well what they're given, God will entrust even more. And we, we want to we live that way. Lord, you can trust us. You can trust us with the lost people in this community. Lord, because we are going to give it everything we've got for you. We're not perfect. You're perfect. But we're going to give you effort, Lord, and we are going to bring back a good return by your grace and by your power. Our strategy to build the church is to build this church. The more we expand as a church, the more people we can reach. So you got to understand that what God is doing here is special and unique. As our church has been recognized the last couple of years as being one of the fastest growing churches in America, just kind of shows you that it's unique. Our church has grown to the point, it's in the, one of the top, top 1% of churches in America. I say that so that you understand we're in a position of strength. God has put us here for a purpose. Not to say, oh, look at that, that was really cool, but to prepare us for an even greater purpose. To prepare us for greater responsibility. We have to know that what God has done here is special and we cannot take it for granted. All Bible-believing churches serve to benefit the kingdom of God. They're like outposts in the kingdom of God. They shine the light of Jesus into the darkness. But God uses some churches like this that he has equipped and strengthened and poured resource into to be strongholds in the kingdom of God, to not just take land, but to take land exponentially, to reach people at a greater rate, to help the other churches rise to their level of potential. God wants to use us for a special purpose, and that's why we're doing this series to get prepared, to get prepared to reach more people. We're not satisfied with what's happened up to this point. That was just the starting point. What God has done in your life up until this point, man, I celebrate it, but it was to prepare you for more. He's got a bigger purpose for you. He wants to entrust you with greater responsibility. And it used to be that churches were limited by 
where they were located by geography, and they could only really reach people within maybe 15, 20 miles of the church. And they had to kind of say, you know, hey, come drive to our, our church. And you can. And it was hard. If you got a little too far away, you couldn't really invite people to church because it just seemed too far away. And that's something that we love. We're really good here at inviting, bringing friends. You guys are amazing, always bringing friends to church. But the reason you can do that is because you're close enough to invite them. And so I, I'm hoping that and praying that God will give us opportunity to grow and expand our reach so that we can get to people with the gospel who live too far away to come here. Because we know that the valley needs more churches. The state needs more churches. The region needs more churches. See, you as a Christian, one of the most effective things you can do for God is to practice come and see evangelism. So when you encounter someone who is overwhelmed, hurting, scared, or broken, you say, I've got something for you. You're drowning. I've got a life fest. Come and see Jesus. Come and see who changed my life. You don't have to necessarily become an expert on apologetics and arguing for your faith. But if you'll just share with people what Jesus has done in your life and invite them, okay, come see and come be a part. God will use that to reach so many people. Today, technology allows us to expand like never before. I mean, you think about how we can download the Bible on our phones, the YouVersion app. Over 100 million downloads, the YouVersion Bible app on your phone at the click of a button whenever you want and multiple translations. Isn't that amazing? You realize that just a few hundred years ago, people were literally dying, being killed for having a Bible in their possession. People couldn't even get, churches had to share a Bible because they couldn't afford to have more than one. Right. The fact that we can have that kind of access through technology is incredible. The fact that we can use stuff like video to project the same message, the same vision, the same culture around our city and reach people who aren't here is incredible. I mean, I'm so grateful that we can reach people like that who aren't here. And I, I got to challenge some of you because some of you have immature thinking about video and you've told yourself, I don't like that video preaching. Right. And I just got I just got to point out, you know, that you don't want to be a so what Christian and decide you don't like something because it's different. Right. And so I'm just going to do a t teach on that for one second. See, like we put these screens up on the side here in Mesa so that if you're sitting in the back, you can see, you know, facial expressions and be more connected. Like if I if I said, you know, look at me, you'd probably look at the screen and then you'd be like, oh, he's being sarcastic. Oh, he's happy, right? Like you can see facial expressions. It's helpful. It's beneficial. But what we found is so hilarious that even people that sit in the front two and three rows, oh, half the time they're like looking at the screen. I'm like, hello, I'm right here in front of you. And they're like, oh, it's just our human nature. We look at screens. And then the same person turns around, I don't like video teaching because it's new. Don't be a so what Christian. So what if it works? So what if people get saved through a sermon via video? Like, don't be like that. If you're going to be opposed to using technology to reach people for Jesus, then at least be consistent and don't listen to the radio and don't drive your car to church and don't read your mass-produced Bible that was made on a printing press. Only use a handwritten Bible in the original Greek and Hebrew language and read it by candlelight in your house without electricity or air conditioning or televisions. And don't talk on your cell phone. Send carrier pigeons. Just be consistent. That's all I ask. It's so funny that like, Christians have always struggled to adapt to change. It's how we are. Sometimes we just we get used to what we like and we ascribe a moral value to our preferences. And so we say like, oh, hymns are holier. Or it's more holy to sing with the choir robe on. 
Like, we just, we've been like that in the church. And so churches have seen people fight about things like, you know, bringing in guitars and drums, and, and then people fought about hymnals. If, if you're like, what's a hymnal? <laughs> there used to be these books in church that had the song lyrics all printed in them. And then, like, they started using overhead projectors, and people were like, that's not right. You cannot project lyrics onto a screen. And then we started doing something even crazier. We started projecting the Bible up on the screen. Gasp, right? But I found that whether you read it in a book, in a book on a page, or whether you read it on a screen, little projected pixels of light, the Word of God is the Word of God. And it changes us. So whether you're here watching this message or on another campus or someday at another campus, Man, I just want you to understand, have the maturity to realize it's the same message, it's the same word, it's inspired by the same spirit, just without the spit. I can receive because God knows I'm going to receive from it. We can unify our church and reach people that we couldn't reach before. God has given us opportunity today that we cannot take for granted. And at Generation Church, we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people far from God. We got people at our campuses who can pray for, for, for people. And, and these pastors, man, they're even, they're even more loving than me, to be honest. They're better counselors. They can pray just as good for, for people. And, and we can reach people that we couldn't reach before. And we have to do whatever it takes to reach people far from God. This is a 10 times church. Jesus has entrusted us with the responsibility to help build his kingdom. And I want all of us at the end of our lives when we stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the small things. I'll reward you with bigger things. And as a church right now in this life, on an ongoing basis, we're not just waiting for the, for the finish line. Along the way, we want to hear God saying, well done. You've been trustworthy. I'm going to reward you with more. So let me tell you where I'm praying that God... We'll take our church. This is my prayer. This is my hope. This is my dream. I think we have a big God, so we need to have a big dream. Amen. So here's what I'm praying. I'm praying for a hundred, a hundred churches that we can start or help start in this city, in this region, and around the world. Whether they have our name on them or not, we want to help start local churches. Don't you think that's a good goal? Come on. We're on our way. I want to see us baptize 10,000 people in Generation Church. Come on, don't you know that you've got friends and family who are far from God that need to find him, accept him, and follow him in baptism? I'm believing that here in this city, in this region, we're going to have the opportunity to preach to over 100,000 people for Jesus sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's through the preaching of the word that people hear and receive Jesus Christ. And I'm praying and believing that online and around the world, we'll be able to reach 100 million people for Jesus Christ. Come on, do you believe that this is possible? Don't you know that God is looking for a willing vessel who says, Lord, I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'm all in. You can trust me with your resources. When God fills the seats at this campus, we'll make more room and we'll have more space to bring more people. We'll, we need more space for kids. We need more pace, space for people. So I just need you to understand if you're in this church, if you're a so what Christian, like, so what? This is all what? So what? Like, listen, I love you. I'm glad we're going to be in heaven together forever, but we need your seat. 
because we got some stuff we're trying to do up in here. And I'm praying, I'm believing as God has blessed us now with two campuses here in Anahuatuki, he's going to fill these campuses up and they're going to be bursting at the seams. And then I'm believing by God's grace, we're going to start a third campus and then a fourth and then a fifth. And as we're faithful, God will bless our faithfulness. The more ground we take, the more ground we can take. We don't just build this church to promote ourselves. There's really no point to that. We build the church so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus Christ. Come on, we want a bigger church because we want a bigger heaven. We want Jesus up in heaven right now talking about, I'm preparing a place for you. We want to keep him busy. We want Jesus to be busy building mansions in heaven. He's up in heaven like, oh man, I got to build more mansions because Generation Church keeps reaching more people. God will bless us if we're faithful. We're not just a hospital for the sick. We are, but we're also a school for the saints. We equip, the tr- we equip the people who are called by God. We want to train those of you who are, who are called by God. And he wants to use you for his purpose. So we're going to give you the tools to do that. We're going to prepare you as a person of God to be used by him. We want to be faithful to God. Come on, can you stand to your feet this time? I know that what God wants to do here is great. And I believe that by being a part of this church, together we're going to be able to accomplish amazing things for God. I mean, what if we swing for big goals and we come up a little short? We're going to have so much to show God that we've done with our lives. We're going to hear, well done. You know, God is looking for people. He is looking for people. He's looking for a church that will be faithful. He's looking for a church that will lift up the name of Jesus and glorify him. He says, I'm looking for people who will love others the way that I do. I'm looking for people who are not satisfied with yesterday's blessing, with yesterday's miracle. I'm looking for people who want to do more, who want to do a little more, who will go wherever they can, who will do whatever it takes to reach even one more person for the kingdom of God. And we're going to tell Lord, Lord, we are so that church. You can trust us. You can believe that we are going to be faithful. We're declaring this. Come on. Would you just bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes? Between you and God, maybe right now you're saying, Lord, what you've spoken, I hear, I receive. And I want to go all in to follow your son, Jesus, to help build your church, to be like him. Lord, use me. If you'll just pray that in your heart right now, God will honor that. Just say, Lord, use me. I don't always really have the answers. I don't even know exactly what to do, but use me. I'm willing. God is going to bless that, and he will use you. You can decide that today in your heart. And maybe you're here right now, and you say, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I want to know this new life in Jesus. Maybe you've been looking for answers or for something to satisfy your soul, and you've tried different things and found they all come up short. And I need you to know the only thing that satisfies the void in our soul is a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've been searching for answers, he is the answer. There is only one answer. It's Jesus. If you've come here today, maybe even if you've done things in your past that you're ashamed of, things that you've you've done wrong and you think God couldn't love me, I've made so many mistakes, you need to know that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to take your place. Jesus, he died on the cross to pay the price for the sins that we committed. He took the punishment that we deserved. And then because he's God, he rose again from the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death as well so that we could have eternal life and hope through him. 
So if you're like, man, I'm ready. I want to follow Jesus and be forgiven and become a part of God's family and receive his favor. You can do that today by taking this step of faith. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to invite you just to pray it with me. And if you believe this, then God hears it. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross. I believe that he rose again from the grave and gives me victory over death. Lord, I want to follow you from this day forward. Help me to do that. Help me to live my life for you. Help me to be faithful with the resources that you put in my hand. Thank you for loving me and pursuing me even when I was far from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you today. We want to recognize what God has done in your life, that you just joined the family. So I'm going to invite you on the count of three to shoot your hand up. If you say, I just invited Jesus into my life. One, God loves you. Two, don't be afraid. Three, just shoot it up and say, that's me. That's awesome. That's amazing. Amazing. Awesome. Anyone else? Come on, we celebrate with him. We celebrate what God has done in your life. We got to give God praise.